right. So Isaiah 50, verse 4. If somebody's there, uh, would you be willing to read that out for us? The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. All right. Thank you. Um, if you kept reading, by the way, Isaiah 50 is really, really good. Um, I think it's clearly pointing forward 700 years to Jesus. Um, if you keep reading the next couple of verses, it's just like clear, clearly about Jesus. Um, but uh, I was thinking about this verse. It's been kind of a prayer of mine, and, and it's becoming a prayer of mine for this class specifically here on Thursday mornings. Um, one of the reasons is uh, that just over the past week, I've talked to a lot of teachers, um, whether it's teachers in our church or a few days ago, I went back to the CrossFit gym just to say hi to everybody. I hadn't seen a lot of my friends and community there for a couple months, and Wanted to just check in and say hi. A lot of them um, either are fellow coaches, but some of my class members I used to coach in CrossFit are teachers. And they're a week in and they are tired. Uh, they are frustrated. They are discouraged. Um, I mean, you name it right now. And that's just teachers alone. And I, I think of nearly everybody in every walk of life right now is, is feeling that. Um, and so Isaiah 50 verse 4 grabbed my attention a couple months ago and just kind of become a prayer. Um, Lord, would you wake me up every morning and fill me with your truth? Um, may I have kind of, as scripture says, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you be my teacher? I want to be so filled up by your life-giving truth that for those who are weary right now, for those who are anxious, discouraged, depressed, worried about the uncertain future, um, I want to know how to sustain him or her with a word, with your word. And um, this is one of the reasons I love that we're in Romans right now. I was telling Sean a little bit last night. I think Romans is so important for us right now. It's one of the reasons we really focused in on the homework last week of having everybody um, write out the gospel. And we're going to keep coming back to that over and over and over to become fluent in just sharing the gospel. And in its essence, gospel just means good news. And so I want us to be in, in person. I want to be really good with believers and unbelievers, knowing how to just fluently weave the gospel into every conversation. Here's the good news. Um, Connie, I know you know a little bit about uh, good news with the Good News Club. So I know that, man, you, you've been trained in that as well and how to weave the gospel into conversations with young minds, right? And so that's one of the things I, I love about Romans, why I think this is a, an important time for us to be in Romans uh, right now is, Lord, wake us up every Thursday morning. You may be like 6 a.m. In, in the Bible. What are we doing? Lord, wake us up. Um, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to understand your good news so that we can sustain him or her who's weary in this season. There's a lot of weary people around us. So any thoughts you guys have there on that verse before we pray, and then we'll 
roll into Romans this morning. But anything else grab your attention? Cool. All right, let me pray for us. And then what we'll do is uh, we'll just read Romans 1 again this morning and then start working back through picking up in about verse uh, 5 and I hope to make it through about verse 17 this morning, but we'll see. So Father, we love you. We're grateful for who you are. Holy Spirit, we're just so grateful for uh, the comfort, the teaching, the energy, the empowerment, uh, the presence and the love. Uh, that you provide in our lives. We just say thank you. And along with this verse in Isaiah 50, this morning we just make it our prayer that you would uh, awaken us, wake, a, wake us up to hear your word this morning. You're the teacher, we're the students. And Lord, I think of, uh, I do, I think of teachers, students, parents, I think of people of all walks of life right now in our circles who need uh, to be sustained, encouraged, challenged, built up through the, the gift of your good news in Jesus Christ. And so give us the boldness, the courage, confidence to, to give this good news to those who are weary. Um, so Lord, we want to just immerse ourselves in your word this morning um, and just be thankful for how good your news is in Jesus Christ. We love you. Please teach us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So Romans 1. Um, and you may be a couple weeks in here like, man, we read the whole chapter every time. Um, and uh, we only get a few verses into it. And I'm completely okay with that. I hope you are as well. One of the reasons is, let's say it takes us three, four weeks to get through one chapter. Well, that means we'll have read that chapter four times and kind of just seen the big picture and then walk through uh, kind of verse by verse. So I think the, the greater value is we're capturing uh, the entire chapter and kind of becoming familiar with it and then walking through it. So let's go ahead and do that again this morning. Um, so if somebody would pick up Romans 1 verse 1 and take a couple verses and then pass it on, we'll read the whole chapter together. Who, uh, who's got us? Paul was servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received in grace apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called by called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. 
For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for the error. And since they did not see fit. To acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. For they are filled with all manner of righteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience to, to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, they know God's righteousness decree uh, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. All right. Thank you. Well, we will get to that section in 18 through 32, um, maybe today, but most likely uh, next week. And man, it's a heavy hitter. Paul, you know, Paul does his introduction here, the first 17 verses, and then he just goes for it. So we will we'll spend some time there in 18 through 32. Uh, this morning, um, we'll pick back up. Um, we got through about five verses uh, last week, but anything stick out to you guys from maybe the first two weeks? We spent a lot of life or time on the life of Paul um ron man ron you did your homework you you brought some um the missionary journeys and kind of timeline of of paul's life 
Um, but in the first five verses last week, anything stand out to you guys that stayed with you over this past week? If not, I quit. If <laughs> I just quit. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, I, every class I teach, I, I like to ask that, especially the rescue mission. I'll say, hey, guys, you remember what we talked about? And, uh, you know, over the past seven days, like, what's one thing that's really stayed with you? And they'll just look at me and they'll be like, Dave, we don't remember a thing. <laughs> and I say, oh, okay, good. I'm so glad I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start over. And uh, But, yeah, anything from last week that kind of grabbed your attention as we looked through the first five verses? I think what we talked about was the fact that he was – um, validating who he was and what his role was. And he was setting forth getting his credentials to let people know that he, uh, who he was and mm-hmm. that he has been uh, appointed by, by Jesus Christ and been blessed by Jesus. And that he um, is validating them that indicating that they both the, the ones that do belong to Christ, that he, they're on the journey with him. Yeah. And I think it's uh, showing his, uh, true zealousness of the person he is and uh just basically you know it's uh it's at this time it's a fish with cut bait this is yeah a, oh yeah or, this is where we're at you just uh we you know you're with them or you're not with them mm-hmm. very obviously a very black and white individual and um was zealous to share his um to share the message um as he did even as a pharisee mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he was very Almost whatever job he has done, and obviously finished well. Yeah, yeah. And as you talk about Paul, kind of validating maybe his credentials or who he is out of the gate. Uh, I've been noticing this in Romans, but uh, especially in Corinthians. I, I'll have us turn there here in a minute. But Paul, and he does it in Philippians as well. Actually, he'll kind of list out his credentials, um, and then he'll say, "Yeah, but." That's nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And what he's actually doing, and I'll I'll explain it more in a minute, is he's kind of subverting or flipping upside down everything that the Roman world valued. Uh, Your credentials was everything. Status was everything. And Paul would just kind of introduce, like, here's why I could brag, but I'm not going to. And he just throws it out the window and it like kind of moves forward on the credentials of Christ rather than his own and uh, it's amazing how he does that. We'll look at that a little bit today. Um, yeah, well said, Ron. Anything Anything else um, from last week? Yeah, yeah I think um, one of the things that, that, um, that stood out to me was that Paul is establishing clearly that Jesus is from the line of David, being fully man. Yeah. But then it, 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 as well, being fully God as uh, being declared the Son of God. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, you see that, him lay that, what is that, verse 4, 3 and 4? Yeah. yeah. And I think you wanted to say something, but your husband interrupted you. Yeah. <laughs> He's a teacher, so. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, my take on it is that um, Paul is establishing that the, that the gospel is of God, and it hyperlinks Romans hyperlinks back to Genesis. Hmm. It talks about the promise of the Redeemer immediately after the fall of man. So he's pretty much referring back to the fact that 
the gospel has always been there from the mm. beginning. Yeah, immediately after, you know, man had That's a good catch. Yeah. I like that, Anna, what you said. The gospel's always been there, right? It's, man, this is something I, I'm just I'm becoming more and more serious about as I realize how much people split the Old Testament and New Testament, and they see two different gods going on. And I'm like, no, like kind of this angry, get everything right type of God in the Old Testament. And then, oh, but Jesus is, is the nice version of God in the New Testament. Like, no, that's that's not... This, and so, Anne, I really like what you said. The gospel's always been there. This plan has always been there, and God's God's been at work to 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 make it known, right, through Jesus. So that's good, awesome. All right, okay. yeah. Go but ahead, before, Sean. Before we move on, I'd like to, <clears throat> if you guys are okay with it, I think um, I think Paul's going to use a lot of. Um, Words, Christianese words that we hear a lot, um, and, and some of us have been church, you know, for thirty years, and maybe don't <clears throat> don't understand or don't uh, don't have a clear vision of what some of these words mean. So as we move forward, if you guys are okay with it, I'd like to stop and maybe define some of these words because we're going to see them a lot as we go through what moments. Sorry, I muted myself there. Uh, Sean, are are you up for? I know there were a couple there in uh, verse five, six, seven. You wanted to kind of clearly define before we move into eight. You want to take a few of those? Are so? Are we going to? We have. Uh, yeah, sure. Fine. Yeah, go for it. Um, so holiness, guys. Can you uh, can you guys tell me what holiness means? Because we see that word a lot throughout Scripture. We see that a lot through throughout Romans. Um, I think maybe, uh, yeah, I'm curious to know what holiness means. Without blemish. Okay. <clears throat> Anybody else? Moral purity. Okay. Okay, so when, when God told Israel to be holy, he was calling them out to be distinct or set apart from the rest of the world and the other nations and how they lived their lives. Um, he was calling them out to be to live by a standard set from God rather than the world standard. And, and so um, we're also called to be holy and we're called to live our lives separately from the world. And we see examples of, of holiness, just quick examples in in uh, Ephesians uh, let's see, three, three, four, and five, really, where Paul's contrasting our new life in Christ versus the old life in the ways of the world. And just a couple of quick examples, he says, put away falsehoods um, and let each of you speak truth to our neighbor. He says, um, don't let corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only talk that's good for building up one another. And he says, let bitterness, anger, wrath, and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another and tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Um, and part of holiness, uh, in addition to adopting a lifestyle, is we're called to put our trust in God rather than ourselves and, and the wisdom of the world. And so I would define holy as, as exactly what everybody said so far, upright, um, um, morally correct, but it's also called to be set apart. We're, we're called to be separate from the world, to behave separate from the world, and, and to have our worldview focused on God rather than the wisdom of the world. 
And, and Sean, I, I know there's a few more you want to jump into. Just to interrupt real quick, Sean and I were talking a little bit about this over the phone and, and just want to encourage you guys. Uh, Sean's going to kind of pick a, a few words and look through the passage ahead of time and say, hey, these, as we've said in the past, these are words that maybe are so familiar they've become unfamiliar, right? Uh, we, we use yeah. them so much we just kind of forget even the, the weight or the punch behind these words. Um and so just an encouragement, as, as Sean kind of lays them out, jot down the definition or short description he gives you, because as, as Sean said, as we work through the 16 chapters of Romans, Paul will reuse these words a lot. So we, we'd love for us to be in chapter 9, and Paul uses this word that, that maybe Sean helped define in chapter 2, and you immediately can kind of pull it up and say, oh, this is what Paul means by that word. So just a, yeah. just a reminder. Um, Dave, where did we stop last week? Was it in five or was it six? I, I don't, I don't recall. Yeah, we stopped around four. Just talking. I think we ended on the note of fully God, fully human, and so uh, I know you want to talk a little bit about apostleship as well. Uh, yeah, when Paul establishes himself as an apostle, um, I'm going to give quick, quick, simple uh, um, uh, definitions. An apostle is a, a a person who's set on an authoritative mission. So Paul was set with authority, uh, called out with and given authority to carry out the mission of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. So um, yeah, a uh, a person set on an authoritative mission. Um, Dave, can I pick up in five and maybe read through that? And as we read, yeah. I'll help define some more. Go for <clears throat> Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the, for his, for the sake of his name among the nations, inclu- including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, uh, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so <clears throat> we see in the beginning of verse 5 the word grace. What, is, uh, what does grace mean in this context? Maybe a simple definition. Could somebody give me a simple definition of grace? How about um, merciful kindness bestowed upon the undeserving? So God's, God's giving us, God's granting us mercy. He's granting us grace, and it's, it's given to us who are the undeserving. And so that's, that's how I would define grace. Um, what, about, what about faith? This is a really interesting word, because I think we hear this a lot. And, and uh, sometimes, um, sometimes it seems to be a word that's, that's distance, and we don't see the practical side of it. How would you guys define faith? Sean, can you give that definition of grace again? I'm sorry, I missed it. Grace, yeah. Um, It would be um, merciful kindness that God bestows upon the undeserving. Does does that definition make sense, Ron? Okay. So what about faith? Can somebody help me define faith? If we turn to Hebrews 11.1, uh, <clears throat> yeah, sorry guys, 
we see that um, it's defined as faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so practically, how does that play out? Um, for our Genesis group and those familiar with Genesis, to use a quick example, we see, um, we see Noah. Noah. Noah was approached by God, was told that this was going to happen, that the judgment was going to come upon the world. Noah had never seen rain. There had never been rain on the earth before. But Noah trusted God. He believed what God said. And, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And we're going to talk about righteousness as well. And so what faith, uh, how would we describe faith? When, when uh, Genesis describes Noah, it says, Noah believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So simply put, faith is trusting in what God says. It's believing God. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Another word that I wanted to define. How about saints? Mm. Sometimes I think we, uh, we hear that saints are these, mm. these people that do miraculous works, and they're... they're, they're Holy, they're so far above everybody else. But the truth is that Paul Paul calls the people at Rome saints, and he calls the believers saints as well. And so in 1 Corinthians 2, I think he describes what a saint is pretty clearly. He says, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And so a saint is simply somebody who is, is a beloved of God, who is a believer, who is, who is saved. Um, and then there's, a, there's another word in that, in that definition, or in the First Corinthians portion, sanctified. Hmm. What does sanctified mean? Hmm. This is a tough word. Sanctified, and you'll sometimes hear progressive sanctification. Saint, and Paul uses this word sanctified a lot in Romans. Sanctified simply means it's, it's the process God uses to continually move us away from sin, to move us away from our old life and into the new life, to be, to be more like Jesus, as that is, that is what sanctification means. Any uh, thoughts or ideas, questions about any of that? Just as you talk about sanctification, um, when we get into kind of the heart of Romans, like chapters 6, 7, 8, that'll be a real focus we get to talk about. I like how you said that, Sean, moving us away from our old life of sin to our new life, our new identity in Christ. Paul really gets kind of practical, theological and practical in, in what that looks like. So those will be good chapters. <clears throat> It's, it's a, to me, it's, it's a roadmap of the Christian life. You know, when we become a Christian, we are we become holy to be, able to be set apart from the non, you know, for the non, our previous life, and then we become apostles, where we're given, we're given, we're given the authority to put a, uh, put out the message of Christ, and we're to offer grace to those, which is I always saw it as unpardonable. Um, Forgiveness. I mean, not unpardonable, you know, um, unmerited forgiveness. And then, you know, by faith, we can go out and do what we need to do. And in that, we are beloved by 
God, we are a saint. And then each day, each minute of the day, we, um, we're in the process of, God is in the process of removing us from further away from sin to be more like him. Yeah, that was well said, Ron. Back to you, Dave. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. Now, I, I think that's incredibly important um, as we move through Romans, um, as we continue to find these key words. And just want to once again encourage us, guys, don't be afraid to stop us and say, hey, what does that mean? Can we define that? Because uh, you're not the only one wondering that. So mm-hmm. let's let's be about that. Um, verses 8 through 15 here we're going to uh, cover. Um And then I hope to get into 16 and 17 as well. But specifically 8 through 15, Paul shifts gears a little bit. And you're going to see him speak a little bit to uh, why he's writing this letter. He'll talk more about that actually at the end of his letter in Romans 15. But here in verses 8 through 15, Paul's going to kind of talk to the immediate circumstances um, as why he's writing to the Roman church. And uh, also why he hasn't come to Rome yet. Now, I, I want to maybe just give us a little perspective. We often think, we, I, at least I do, I, I imagine the churches scattered all over the Roman Empire can't wait for a letter from, from Paul, the Apostle Paul. And some churches are that way. They, they receive Paul. They can't wait for him to come and teach or share a letter. They're eager to hear Paul's wisdom in the Word. Um, and then there are some churches that are questioning his authority. There are some churches um, somewhat even hostile towards Paul. And uh, you see that in Corinthians, um, and, and you see kind of notices of that in Romans uh, as well, uh, where there's kind of these rumors going around that, hey, Paul, Paul hasn't come to Rome. Uh, he must not love us as much as the other regions he's covered. Or uh, maybe he's, a, he's afraid of the Roman authorities. Or this seems to be a real key like rumor or gossip that was floating around, is that Paul is afraid to come preach the gospel in Rome because of how intelligent Roman citizens are. Um, and in that time, you got to know in that culture, um, your ability to be eloquent and well-spoken was everything. Um, you were trained in kind of what's called sophism. And sophism was this idea of, of philosophy and rhetoric, this ability to speak in a way that moves people. And you're just clear and you're eloquent and you're poetic and all these things. And so your, your kind of... Uh, status in society was based on how good you are with your words and how well-spoken you are. And so if you were going to be any sort of teacher with authority, you had to be a master of rhetoric. And some people accuse Paul of like, well, he's good at writing, but he's not good at speaking. He's a terrible public speaker. So he's afraid to come because all the sophists and, and uh, rhetorical speakers here in Rome will tear him apart. <laughs> so you'll see um, Paul kind of go after some of these rumors here in, in his writings in Romans. Just to kind of give you a little background context on that, somebody turn to 1 Corinthians 2 and look at how Paul kind of goes after these room, rumors that were happening in Corinth as well. So 1 Corinthians 2, just read the first five verses and look at how Paul flips those rumors upside down. I love, he, he's just... I think masterful in how he does this. So 1 Corinthians 2, 
When somebody gets there, read the first five verses, please. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Thank you, Connie. So if you were to look, take that snapshot, and I think Paul is kind of in the same context with, with Rome as well as the church in Corinth. If you were to take that snapshot and say, what is important to Paul? Uh, what would you say? Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is it. He's like, you can keep all your your sophism and your rhetoric and how good you are with words and being impressed by public speakers. I'm not a good public speaker, but I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Like that is that is Paul's like, you're not going to remember like how poetic and amazing my words are. When I'm done speaking, you're going to remember Christ and him crucified on your behalf and raised from the dead. Like that's Paul's mission. And uh, he's going to kind of uh, go after that same, uh, think of that context as well here in Romans. So with that, uh, somebody read just uh, Romans 1 verse 8 for us. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Perfect. So what do you notice, given the context, maybe a few people are accusing Paul of being afraid to come to Rome, but now he's writing to these people. What's the tone he starts with in verse 8? First, here's, here's where I'm at. What kind of tone do you see Paul using out of the gate? I think we're seeing gratefulness that he truly, that he is, um, he's coming to them, you know, and he's thankful for them through Christ. I think he's acknowledging who they are yeah. and what that his, his greeting is yeah. from Christ himself. Yeah, what I, I agree. What I appreciate about Paul out of the gate, given the context of why he's writing Romans, I don't see a defensiveness in him. I don't see a need for him to say, you know, um, kind of defend himself and his character. He'll, he'll get into some of the reasoning here in a few verses. But he starts with thankfulness for them, um, their faith. They, they're demonstrating a sort of faith in Rome that is, is kind of echoing or reverberating throughout the, the Roman Empire. And so he wants them to know, I, I thank God for you. And then verse 9, um, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you. So he starts with thankful, thankfulness for them. And then verse 9, uh, what does he also move into? He's coming as a servant. He's there to serve them. And, his, his, you know, he, he's, he's just, from the very verse first through this area, he is just showing his humbleness, that, it, that he is not on his own. He's coming through the authority and, uh, from Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, so he, 
He starts in verse 8 with a thankfulness for them and their faith. And then he says, hey, not only am I thankful for you, I'm, I'm praying for you constantly. You're in my prayers. And then verse 10, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least, at last, succeed in coming to you. So now he starts to go into, hey guys, I want you to know, not only am I thankful for you, not only am I praying for you, I'm asking God that, that he would finally make it happen that I can come to you. Um, but notice that phrase, uh, somehow by God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. That phrase where Paul's saying something along the lines of, of not by my will am I going to make this happen, but by God's will. Are there other phrases in scripture maybe that reminds you of? I'm taking up so much time talking. I think that Jesus said that in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if not, you know, it, it made this cut pass, but your will be done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, go back to, right on, Ron. I mean, go back to the prayer of Jesus. Um, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That, that prayer that Jesus teaches us and kind of models for us begins with a big view of God. God, you're sovereign, you're king of heaven and earth, and I want your will to be done here on earth and, and through my life, not my will. And then Jesus not only prays that, right, which lately this has been a fascinating kind of thing for me is, is just connecting how many things Jesus taught or prayed during his, his ministry on earth. And then how many of those things he lived out the last like 12 hours of his life before he goes to the cross. And just notice how many things Jesus taught and then practiced in the last day of his life. So, Father, your will be done here on earth. Um, And then in the garden before his death, um, Father, not my will, but yours be done. As he's wrestling with the pain of knowing how how hard the cross is going to be. Um, and I, I think Paul, and once again, you guys, this is the beauty of Romans and the beauty of the Bible, is we begin to be so familiar with the life, the teaching, um, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, that his story um, that Jesus has lived out, um, we're so familiar with it, we begin to see it lived out in our own lives. And so that's, you see Paul do that, I think, better than anyone, where he begins to see in his own life, I get to, um, I get to continue on what, what Jesus started. And uh, my life is driven by the will of God, not my own will. And it just kind of comes through his language and his writing as well. Any other thoughts on that verse before we, we move into 11? All right, somebody read uh, verse 11 for us. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. All right, so, um, and, uh, you know, let me read 12 as well. Sorry, I didn't mean to break those verses up. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. When Paul talks about imparting to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, what's he what's he mean by that? 
and John or Sean, I might lean on you guys a little bit with this one because I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty sure, but um, I don't know if I have the, this this thought nailed down for sure. But what's Paul mean when he says, hey, I, I want to I come be with you in Rome and I want to impart a spiritual gift to you? What's he mean by that? He was um, talking about the gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom, and the gift of apostleship, so that they may continue, you know, uh, growing as faithful believers of Christ. Mm, mm-hmm. That's good. Well said. That kind of the way you said that, Anne, takes me back to what Connie read in First Corinthians two of. I I want to leave with you Christ and Him crucified. That's what I want you to grow and be strengthened in. Yeah, I, I, I just put down, I think Paul wants to use his, his preaching and teaching gift to, to strengthen and equip the church. Um, I think alongside what you're saying, Anne, like, I want to teach you the word. I want to strengthen and equip you with the knowledge in Christ. Um, so, but I know, would you, John or Sean, anything you guys would, or another perspective? Yeah, I, I don't think it's in essence, any different than the spiritual gifts that has been imparted to each of us as we minister yeah. to the body, that we are imparting a uh, spiritual gift to strengthen one another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at first glance, it may look like that he is giving him a special gift of the spirit that um, that they maybe have missed, uh, missed or something like that. But mm-hmm. it's just um, uh, fundamentally the giftedness that each of us has given by the spirit for to use it mm-hmm. um, that they may be mutually encouraged um, so yeah that's good yeah. i would agree with that john for sure yeah because i've heard it taught and i'm like ah, that doesn't sound right to me that like you know that was the beauty of being an apostle as, as sean defined it as uh correct me if i'm wrong sean but someone sent on an authoritative mission right and yeah. and uh like like People wanted Paul and the apostles to come and lay hands on them because then they would receive some sort of like spiritual gift. But I, I yeah, I, I see it more so the way you guys are, are laying it out that um, Paul's saying, man, I'm, I'm here to share the gifts the Spirit's given me to equip and encourage you in Christ. Um, and um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the beauty of the spiritual gifts is we, we build one another up and we mature the church through our participation together in the church, right? And the giftedness the Spirit's given us. Um, and then he says, okay, so I want to impart this spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Tell me about the phrase mutually encouraged. Um this is a phrase um, or a concept, at least, Paul uses a lot in his letters, whether it's uh, the Philippians, Romans, Corinthians, this idea of mutual encouragement. What does Paul mean by that? I think by him, in you know, giving the good news to these people and they're receiving it, they're 
being uplifted and they're being encouraged. And by them being encouraged, he's in, he is encouraged that he is preaching the proper word. The word is being received the way in which that he has been given it. Yeah. Um, I got do have a question. We could yeah. uh, the ESV Bible right after verse 11. It's got a dash and it goes into verse 12. Is that dash? It may have no significance, but I've just never seen that before. And I didn't know if he's just trying to carry it on to the, you know, to the next verse or what. Mm. You know, I know in a, when I was writing papers in school, if you couldn't finish a word on a certain line, you'd put a dash. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know if this is the same type of thing, but I just thought it's, it's very prominent right yeah. there. That's a good catch. Uh, I might need some help from the teachers in the room. Uh, do you guys see anything like grammatically that Paul's doing? I'm not sure. Um maybe why that might be there. I do know that Paul does tend to have run on thoughts. <laughs> so he's really hard to translate because he doesn't use short, succinct sentences. He'll, he'll start a prayer and he'll go like 12 verses with one sentence. You know, <laughs> I so, my reports with that. My, my boss, you say, man, you got run on sentences. Just <laughs> you know, get to the point. Yeah. Um, so teachers in the room here, would you guys, would you guys add anything to that or thoughts on that dash? Yeah. I, I think it may be just be a grammatical thing of like, cause it seems like I correct me if I'm wrong, but grammatically, it seems like a dash in a sentence is kind of like when you divert your thought. Like the thought is still attached to what you were saying, but you take a slightly different rabbit trail. So they're connected, but it it's a slightly different thought. So it's kind of like, um, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, so it's almost like pause real quick on that thought. Why? Uh, so that we may be mutually encouraged. So I don't, that's how I see him using the dash, but I... I'm sure a, a good English teacher could tear me apart on that definition. <laughs> Dave, I, I, think, so. I think you're right because when you look at uh, when you look at 11, he says, "For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you." Like he's inserting another thought between 11 and 13. I do not want you to be unaware that I have often intended to come to you. So it's like he's he's bracketing yeah. um, the discussion of coming to you with the idea of being mutually encouraged. Yeah, that's good. I, I think that's good. Bracketing, I think, is a good way of saying it. Like, I'm going to get back to, to where I was going, but real quick, this thought, right? Okay, I like that. Good catch, Ron. Um, yeah, so the reason just mutually encouraged is, is a phrase that, I mean, I think it's pretty simple and straightforward, right? But how many of you have had a, a long week or a long day at work and then you're thinking about life group that night, either back when we used to have life groups in a home or even now Zoom. And you're like, uh, everything in you kind of wants to skip life group and just kind of text in like, I'm not going to make it tonight. I, we're going to enjoy a long dinner and not make it to life group. But something in you says, no, like we're going to go. We're like, we are committed to life group. We love life group. Uh, we're going to go even though we're tired. And then how many of you will go spend two hours at Life Group and on the car ride home, uh, you're looking at your spouse and you're like, I'm so glad we went. <laughs> Man, I feel filled up. I was so tired going into this and I'm energized leaving. I don't know how that works. 
Um, I think that's one of the greatest gifts God has given us as believers here on earth is to have brothers and sisters. And then there's just something special that takes place when brothers and sisters get together over the word of God and food or prayer. Um, and even Zoom, I, I do believe that I, God has, I think, shown us a lot of favor the past six months over Zoom to where sometimes you're just like, I don't know. Like last night, you know, maybe you went to bed excited for this and then you woke up at five something. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> Why am I getting up for this? Uh, but my hope is every time the Lord seems to just honor that and just say, man, there's a mutual encouragement that takes place when we gather together over his word and prayer together. Yeah, have you, by the way, that was, a, that was a confession, but how many of you have, have experienced that life group feeling I'm talking about, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. And so anyway, there's just some, I think it's God's gift, this mutual encouragement that takes place when we're together. All right, somebody read for us 13 through 15, 13 through 15. Can I, can I just add something? Yeah, to, go for it. To Ron's question, my um, my reference says that um, when Paul wrote that, it pretty much takes, pretty much means he's saying in order, in order for, or for the purpose of. So when he's saying, um, for I long to see you, he's saying, um, in order or for the purpose of um, mutually encouraging each other and also to, um, oh, I lost my thought there, uh, mutually, mutually encouraging each other and also in order that I may reap some harvest from your, from you. So there's that connection there. Yeah, that's good. Like the motivation, right? Here's why. And he's also, that's a good point. And remember what we talked about. Paul wants them to know, hey, guys, I want to be with you. Like, I, I'm not afraid to come to Rome, which he's going to get to in verses 16 through 7. I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed to come here and talk about Jesus. Um, I want to be with you guys. Yeah, that's good. And you know what, too? I appreciate what you highlighted, Ann, about um, I forget how you said it, but he wants something from them. I think you said it better than that, but some along those lines. That's the beauty of mutual encouragement as well, is it's not, I'm the spiritual authority, I come to give you things and then I'll leave. Paul is sent on this authoritative mission, but it's very clear that, that Christian mutual encouragement is that. It's, it's brothers and sisters on the same level under the headship of Christ saying, the beauty of Christianity is I give my gift to encourage you, you give your gift to encourage me. It's this receiving and giving relationship. It's it's not authorities pouring down um, to lesser thans. Um, all right, so, uh, or and any other thoughts on that before we go uh, uh, 13 through 15? No, I'm good. Good. Thank you for that thought. Uh, all right, 13 through 15. Somebody got us? I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, 
as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So maybe if you were to look at those few verses and say, so what's kept Paul from getting to Rome so far? What would you say? Oh. <laughs> there you go. Am I back? Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's good to know I've thought of as a um, motion-censored lamp, right? Uh, okay, funny, so I'm glad you thought that was funny. Yeah, <laughs> your clap is like the you know, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> clapper, the clapper, yeah, that was the clapper. Um, I don't know where I froze, but the question I was asking is in these couple verses 13 through 15, if you were to answer the question, what has prevented Paul from getting to Rome so far? What would you say? What's what's kept him from getting there? I don't have a clue. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I was going to say, I'm glad John said that because I don't think it says. I don't yeah. think it tells us. Yeah. Yeah. And we could piece some stuff together in Acts and so forth if we want to go down that, that rabbit trail uh, for sure. Uh, Dave, can I, can I ask yeah, something go real for it. quick? Go for it. Other than it says that asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed coming to you. So the only thing I can come up with in context is that Perhaps it's just not God's will that he's there yet. Yeah, yeah. I think going back, yeah, to that in verse 10 is a good call of, of God's God's way, God's timing, right? God's yeah. will for my life. I'll get there when God wants me to be there. Until then, you know, he, he says, I'm committed to my, this authoritative mission I've been sent on is to the Greeks and barbarians. Uh, so basically non-Jewish or, or Gentiles. The barbarians was the language that the real like c- civilized and sophisticated had for like those uneducated outcasts out in the sticks. <laughs> those people up in Mariposa, uh, basically, or Bootjack. Like those are the barbarians that have no sense of culture or fashion. <laughs> so... Um, Paul's bootjack, like, yeah, those, those bootjack people, and uh, Paul's basically saying, "God just sent me. God sent me all over the world to go after the uneducated, the unsophisticated. And when the time to come to Rome is is right in God's eyes, I'll be there. But until then, I'm I'm going anywhere and everywhere. All right, let's uh, we'll close our time here. Just somebody read verses sixteen and seventeen. We'll talk briefly about it, and then I think we'll pick up there. Joel, lead us well into eighteen and beyond. So, uh, sixteen and seventeen, somebody. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All right. So I think Paul kind of concludes this section, right, by saying, guys, let me remind you, I'm not ashamed. Not ashamed to come to Rome. I'm not ashamed to be put down by the intelligent or clever public speakers. Uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I will preach Christ and him crucified because that's what matters. 
Um, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, so we, we'll kind of come back to verse 16 and 17 to catch momentum again into 18 and beyond. But uh, anything you guys would like to talk about there in those couple verses before we wrap up this morning? I would like to uh, maybe next week explore the the idea of revealed from faith for faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John, would you be willing to do some homework on that and and give us a couple minutes on that? Yeah, um, I, it's always confused me, yeah. and so I'll see what I can dig okay. in and find, and um, so we'll do that. Perfect. Perfect. Um, before we close up, Dave, a couple of yeah. quick things. Can I, uh, there's a few words that we're going to run into next week that I want to see if maybe I can ask the class to help define, uh, to, to, to maybe do a little bit of additional homework and just a couple of words. So if somebody would grab it, one word I'd like to define is righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Would somebody be willing to take that? Uh, Sean, what verses do you find that word in verse or verses? Um, I see it in 17. Okay. Um, and then, uh, what, could I count on somebody to take that? Yeah, Connie will. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Connie. You're awesome for volunteering. Um, the next one is ungodliness. He's going to use that term a lot in Romans 2. Um, would somebody grab ungodliness for me? What's the first verse to see that pop up in? Um, in 18, 18. Okay. Yep. And then one more that I think we hear when we throw around, but I'd like to hear a biblical definition of what a fool or what being foolish is. Would somebody be willing to take that? Because Paul uses that word as well. He calls, he calls them fools or foolish. And I think in order to understand what Paul means by that, we need to be able to define the word. Would somebody grab what fool or foolish is from a biblical perspective? Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Awesome. Did anybody get ungodliness? I thought I saw Anne raise her hand. Oh, okay. <laughs> the powerful of John Campschmidt, yeah. <laughs> husband, a husband, Della, Della guilting at its finest. Um, Connie's used to being thrown under the bus. Yeah, that's right. John or Sean, are there any uh, resources you would recommend or point people to to help, as you said, Sean, biblically define righteousness, ungodliness, fool or foolish? Where should people go to? to um, well, I think Strong's Concordance is is pretty good to define the word within its context or uh, the word generally. Um, I use the Blue Letter Bible quite a bit, or the Blue Letter Commentary, which gives commentary from multiple perspectives, from multiple theologians, to to help define uh, uh, things for me. I, I don't know. That seems to be a pretty solid resource. Um, what about you, John? What do you use? Um, yeah, I think that's a that's a great uh, resource. Um, uh, I think the 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 definitions of the words are going to be pretty consistent throughout the different um, uh, the resources you would use. I am a little concerned about this 
faith uh, from faith for faith. That's going to take some uh, mm-hmm. deeper uh, digging, but um, I would just um, you know encourage all of us to take a word and not isolate it. Look through the rest of the Bible and Scripture to confirm uh, the term. Um, and um, because a, a word in the Hebrew or Greek can have multiple meanings, and, and throughout a, a book in the in the say the New Testament or, or the Old Testament, that word is typically used uh, say within Romans uh, to have the same meaning uh, throughout the throughout the book, and so. Uh, you know, as every word, especially in English, can have multiple meanings, we need to be uh, careful about uh, trying to do our best to get the right meaning of that word in the context. Okay, good. Um, all right, so next week we'll lead out uh, with John a couple thoughts on uh, what's the phrase again from faith for faith? Where is it? Yeah. And then, um, let's see, Connie, you have righteousness. Yeah. And ungodliness. And Dave, fool or foolishness. All right. We'll lead out with uh, that, that, and then we'll roll into uh, 16 through, start moving towards the end of the chapter there. Good. Real quick. Yeah, the yeah. Word, does the word folly go along with foolishness and, and fool? Folly. Folly. I think so. I think so. But Dave, Dave will be the one who enlightens us on that. Yeah. <laughs> we look forward to it. <laughs> All right. Hey, there we go. Uh, who would be willing to pray for us this morning? And we'll call it a morning together. Uh, I'll take it. Father, we thank you. For this time together uh, again, Lord, it is so good to be into your word, and um, uh, it never gets old. Uh, there are new discoveries, new gems. Every time we look into your word, it is um, eternal and um, as deep as the, the God that has uh, given us this word. So we thank you. May we be um, students of your word. May we be conformed and changed uh, by your word and uh, that we like uh, Paul may um, impart some of the giftedness that you have given us um, as individuals to the body that the whole body would shine Jesus Christ in his name. Amen. Amen.